take for granted what's special about us. And I think companies can tend to do that too. They don't realize that they're bringing some sort of value that other people recognize, but you don't because you're so used to it. And I think that's something that has been highlighted for me as well within the last year is the communication of what we actually truly bring. And I think we've talked about a little bit, and it's probably the biggest thing for me is the transparency thing. You know, I'm finding myself saying that more to prospects, emphasizing that, hey, we're going to show you if something goes wrong too. You know, it kind of what it does, it makes them feel like, and appropriately so, that we're on their side. We're not, again, across the table and someone they're just paying to do some commoditized service. This is very specialized and we are the expert and we're going to help you guide you through this and help you get to what goals you have. Is your current success putting a lot of demands on you? If you're good at what you do, and you are, then everyone wants you. But that's no way to scale. If you're delivering spectacular results, you should be commanding higher fees, working with only the best clients. Welcome to the Hands Off CEO Podcast, where world-class agency owners and consultants learn how to fully monetize their expertise and scale profits by doing less. Here's your host, Mandy Ellison. Hello, this is Mandy Ellison, host of the Hands Off CEO Podcast. Today, we have on our show two very strong leaders that have been such a pleasure to work with and scale to freedom. They are from Broad Vision Marketing and Yako Grabalar and John Sui. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So, Yako and John, you guys have been so fun to be working with. I know you came to Scale to Freedom in January or so, so about eight months ago or so. I know Yako, we have been chatting back and forth for some years, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been fun to see the two of you grow. And I just want to introduce Broad Vision Marketing. They are a HubSpot partner. What they do is focus on sales enablement and an iterative process of providing businesses, sales teams with the resources that they need to close more deals. And what that means is that they help them have the valuable content, tools, knowledge, information, and really everything that sales teams needs to effectively sell their products or services to prospects and existing customers. They have an exceptional track record working with franchises and really taking brands from a local level up to the national level. You know, one example is taking traffic from 3,000 visits a month to 30,000, really bringing that national presence and literally added millions of dollars for these franchise companies. I know you guys have had these franchises come to really depend on your business for generating that level of growth. So it hasn't always been that way. I know that franchises are one of your main clients that you work with, or are there more that I'm leaving out? Most of our clients are business to business. Many of them are local businesses. Maybe they may not be on HubSpot. They might just have a WordPress site. So we've got kind of a wide range, but certainly several of our clients are large national franchise organizations. And that's where we've found a lot of joy in working with those because you get to work with the big corporate office, you know, on one hand. And then you also get to work with the local franchisee who is trying to win in their local market. So yeah, it's been an interesting experience. And I think what John says so true is that what we have found is we are more industry agnostic, but what we love is there is something that we look for when we connect with a client is do they want to grow? And that for us is a really strong consideration. If they don't want to grow, they don't really fit in our mold. We love to work with companies who wants to grow because when they grow, we grow. And when you say they want to grow, I think that seems like such a basic thing, but a lot of companies say they want to grow, but they don't really mean it. So <laughs> they're, they're, they don't know what that actually means is all the, the operational issues that they're going to need to build up those teams around. It means building out offers. It means generating the traffic and generating the lead sources to do that. So how do you know that a company is actually really interested in growing versus they just say it? The difference between a lifestyle company and a grow focus company. 
And you hear it when you have your discovery meeting with them and you start asking about what are the goals? What is it that you want us to help you achieve? You can hear in terms of the goals that they have, in terms of the budget that they have. You can hear whether they have a growth focus or more of a lifestyle focus. To me, it's very apparent very early on. And sometimes it's even after they sign with us, it's how much they are engaged with the process. One of the things that really sets us apart is how transparent we are with what we're doing. You know, in the world of SEO, it's a game that literally changes every day. So we kind of like to position ourselves as being your kind of concierge to internet marketing or marketing online, and that we're not really like sitting across the table from you. What we want is to be walking side by side with you towards a goal. And it's usually very apparent early on if that particular business owner is truly engaged in their business or did they just create that business so that they would have a job. And that's fine if that's what they've done. However, we as a company, we tend to enjoy the other better. When the client is very engaged, they want to understand what all of the crazy things are that we're talking about, you know, things that they don't understand. That's where we get most excited is when somebody is engaged in the process and they want to participate in it. Those are generally our favorite customers. Sorry to the customers who that's not true. <laughs> and sort of a summary is it's the difference between being a vendor and being a partner. And that's one of the biggest things that we talk about a lot in Scale to Freedom for you know moving from a place where you're doing agency work, you're doing some kind of business services work to really becoming a growth partner. So I know that you guys really are exceptional at this and you have some offers where you're actually adding millions of dollars of growth for businesses. Why don't you tell me a little bit about, we call it an outcome statement. I might put you on the spot here a little bit. Well, Yako, you have definitely shared with me about how you were on the sales rampage and went out and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I remember you sharing that in the first Six months on, obviously this wasn't all just from our program because you were just, you were already generating these sales, but you'd added a million dollars of sales in six months. That's and correct. I know you were sharing that you saw some changes as you were shifting your offer, at least for one segment of your target market. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? One of the franchise companies that we've been working with for quite a while, we could go back into history and see what we have done. What is it that we have achieved for them? And so in working with you, we realized that we could put an offer on the table, the outcome statement that you mentioned, where we would say that we can help you to increase your revenue with a million dollars over the next year for a specific investment. Now, that investment for us was we were looking at, can we do at least a one to eight, one to nine, one to 10? So in other words, for every $1 they invest in us, can we at least give them eight, nine or $10 in return? Now, I think in any terms, that is a good return on investment. And what we found is that we had people who take us up on that and we are busy working with them. Right. And if we do the numbers on that, we're looking at a six-figure investment, which clients are very happy to pay you because of the kind of results that you can create. Yeah. Whenever you put a guarantee behind something, I mean, it just differentiates you from the competition. Put your money where your mouth is to a situation, you know. <laughs> So we have a few of those guarantees out. And at this stage, it is going well. It is not easy. To a certain extent, early in our work and our partnership, John and I reached a stage where we said, even though we are HubSpot business partners and usually with HubSpot contract, because it's so involved, you have a 12-month agreement. We did not do that. We went from a 12-month to a one-month agreement. And for us, it was that we don't want people to work with us who don't want to work with us. And the same, we don't want to work with people that we don't want to work with. So we made it from a 12-month agreement to a 30-day. And I think the best thing that it did for us was that it put us in a position where we had to make sure we perform every day. Now, sometimes when you have a 12-month contract, you can sort of like, oh, we're cruising a little bit in the beginning. You know, we will pick it up. For us, with a 30-day notice, we have to perform from day one. And that keep us honest. And that keep us accountable. I like how you have found that balance that works for you and that you guys are so results driven and have this ability to create 
such incredible outcomes for your clients. Not everyone in our Scale to Freedom program, all, not all agencies are actually out there offering guarantees. You guys have decided to, but we've seen really good results also with just getting very clear on, you know, who is that soulmate client? Who's that profit sweet spot client? What is the outcome that we could get for them under the best conditions? And we worked for them with them for this amount of time. If they had these characteristics in place, we know we can generate at least this amount of growth. So I know you guys went through this process and it was a very, it wasn't like a terribly easy process. Could you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like? And then what you've seen as an outcome of doing that thinking work? John and I are very different personalities. I am, I would say, sometimes high risk taker and I'm more a strategist. While John is more financially less of a risk taker, but he is very strong in technology. And that combination between us has made that I think about things from his perspective. Because at the end of the day, he's my business partner. I cannot go into a contract not thinking about how he would feel about it. And so, you know, one of the things was when we did the first guarantee offer, I built in things criteria that I know would make it easier for John to accept. And so that way we can both commit to it because you cannot just go one person at a time. This is a marriage. When you're in a partnership, it's a marriage. You both have to, to support it and go into it and be passionate about it. And if there's one thing I think we are, and it is that we are extremely passionate about what we do. When we started, I didn't think we could do a guarantee. There's too many variables. There's too many things that impact it. But once Yako started working through it of how to put it together, I got it. And I was like, okay, yeah, we can. And I think it might be a little bit harder in our industry to do that, but it's certainly doable. And it's actually led to the clients that Yako was talking to and using the guarantee. Those closed really quickly. I think you can draw a direct line to the guarantee as to why. It made me stop and go, okay, well, maybe I'm wrong about that. But if we work in things into it that protect us and also protect the client, quite frankly, then it absolutely can work. And it's like back to put your money where your mouth is thing. It gave us some confidence around what we were delivering. And I think in it, we've sort of discovered that we're pretty exceptional at what we do. I don't see us as an average provider. I see us as a boutique and a way above average provider in terms of what we end up delivering to our customers, even if there's not a guarantee. But the guarantee actually helps, gets us to the retainer quicker and gets us helping people quicker. So I think that was definitely a big lesson for me anyways. In terms of, John is a thing that he says, we are building our house on Google's shifting sand. I'm not sure I should say that actually on the podcast, but to a certain extent, that's extremely true because we utilize Google's changes in their algorithm to promote or to get our clients rank higher. You don't always know what those changes in the algorithm is going to be and how it's going to play out. So we have to do a lot of research. We have to stay very up to date on changes in technology in our industry to make sure we can capitalize on that as fast as possible. And really the only reason why you actually can guarantee this is because you're true experts. John, you were saying how you have a boutique service and you're not servicing the little teeny tiny guys that are looking for a teeny tiny bit of growth or that otherwise aren't very committed or qualified. You have very particular clear criteria in line in in mind, this is who you need to work with under these conditions only. And then these are the kind of results that you can create. You had a pretty good idea who your client was. You already knew you had great work in the franchise space, but how did going through this irresistible service product process help you get clarity on that? And then, and ultimately make it easier for your team to operationalize. When you know what you have to deliver, you plan your marketing plan to achieve that. That was one of the first criteria is to say, if we are responsible to deliver a million dollars worth of value, then we can't do that with a $50,000, $70,000 contract. This is a contract on a different level. 
So the contract value significantly increased. It went up to $120,000 to $150,000 per contract. And what we put into the contract is significantly more because the activities that we do have very much a synergistic effect. Now, where two plus two becomes six. And it is where you look at your content. Instead of just doing, say, block content, you would think about what other type of content is complementary to what you, the message that you want to get out. So you think of it on a bigger scale. You think of it more strategic. It's, it's very much where the chess game comes into play, where you know, well, if I do this, it's going to have this effect. And how can I have another activity to complement that? So to a certain extent, I always talk about barriers to entry. What can we do through our program that create barriers to entry and give our clients that opportunity to shine in their space? And you can only do that when you have a big enough plan and a big enough budget to achieve that. One of the things that I learned through the process of determining how to construct the offer and all of that was a realization that the prospect matters. The prospect has to be growth oriented. Those are the ones that are the best fit for us. Both Yako and I, we have one thing, we're very different people, as Yako said, but one thing we have very much in common is that we're both very goal oriented. We are very much focused on where do we want to go? And we're also very focused on where our clients want to go. So that became very apparent to me through that process that that's one part of the puzzle that is critical, that if we're going to get six-figure retainers, the prospect has to be somebody who is focused on something big. And we are the people that can help them get there because we think big. And if they're not thinking big, it ends up being kind of a meh sort of arrangement with that client. And that's okay. But the real deep and exciting thinking is happening with those clients who are growth oriented. And I think that was the one thing out of it as we were going through that process that became highlighted for me is not focusing on who's shopping for us, but more so focusing on who we want to shop for as clients. We want them to be a good fit for us. And I think that's kind of what got highlighted for me. What does the infrastructure look like? This is something that we are currently busy where we're looking at should we be a matrix organization? Should we have a pod system? And we have created a business plan where we are looking at how do we optimize the infrastructure so that we can execute also on a higher level. So not only are we looking at bigger clients or bigger contracts at this stage, we are also looking at how do we improve our offer so that we can function on a higher level. So yeah, execute on a higher level, maybe not only having a bigger offer, but also that we execute on a higher level. And that has a lot to do with making sure you have the right infrastructure, the right people, the right knowledge in-house. We like to talk about there are people who can see dots, and there are people who do not see dots, and then there are people who can actually connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And so when we recruit, we are looking for people who can connect those dots. I think too, when Mandy, when we first started working with, we were already in a pretty substantial growth mode and we had hired and made mistakes. And I think one of the things that came out of that was the recognition that each person that joins our team brings something special. So this idea of moving towards a pod system or whatever you want to call it, highlights that and takes advantage of that. You know, we have, you know, one team member who's awesome at coding and coming up with solutions to solve a coding issue on a website. Then you've got another person who is exceptional client facing and has great skills in terms of delivering results to them. And then you've got another person who's very strong with social media and how to leverage things there. And what we're finding is, if, is that if you center an entire account around one person, they're only getting one exaggerated talent. Whereas if we, if we approach our clients as a team, the clients are benefiting from multiple different talents. And that's what we're trying to slowly uh, migrate towards in terms of our structure. 
I love the thought that you guys are really putting into, not just how do we sell this? How do we put together a, a marketing plan that will get them the result? But then how do we actually build out the team infrastructure to actually deliver that consistently and 100% of the time? And you said earlier something about the way you like to structure your contracts is a way to keep you honest. In your case, you like to do it on 30 days. And you guys have had no problem doing that. So continue on doing that. Most of the time, we recommend doing a longer term just to keep the clients honest too, because so much of the work is done in the first 90 days that a whole growth program, it's very heavy focus on the front end. And it just represents the workload, how that works and a long-term partnership. But that's I know that's something that you guys really have that's unique about the way you work. This industry in the marketing agency industry, they're functioning like agencies who say, well, we're doing this hands work. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But you guys are actually standing by and saying, we're actually going to ensure it works and we're going to build out our own infrastructure to make sure that it does work. I really want to acknowledge you for that because that takes courage. That takes a real commitment to building something that lasts, that's worthwhile, that you really need to think through more than just going and making the next sale, which is what you know, you have a lot of competitors that do that. It's cheaper to make a new sale and churn a client than it is to actually deliver a result for many of those companies. That is very true. One of our biggest clients, the senior executive vice president, when he left the company, we asked him for a testimonial. And that's exactly what he said to us. He said, what differentiate us is that most of the agencies that he worked with at that stage were people who had great sales systems in place. And so they needed great sales systems because they didn't really deliver. So they had to continuously keep on selling. Same with us, that was exactly the opposite. He said, we sucked at sales, but we really got into customizing the program, getting to understand who they are and execute. And that for me is just a huge compliment because I don't want to be acknowledged for sales. I want to be acknowledged for the difference we made in our customers' lives. And we are both like that. Here's the thing is, is that both of you are very good at sales too, though, because what it really takes to be good at sales is having a really exceptional offer that they want, building the trust with them through a relationship, which both of you are exceptional at, and just helping them see this is how we can move forward with this. When you're talking to the right prospects, when you know who the right prospects are, you're having those conversations and you're doing it consistently and with a very good offer, you can be pretty weak at sales and still do pretty well. Very true. Absolutely. And I think that it also adds a layer of trust because it's not some slick back sales guy who's coming in, I've got this, I'm going to take care of you, right? But like <laughs> really at the end of the day, you're like a used car salesman, please stay away from me. That's actually one of the things that we've noticed over the past 10 years Hands Off CEO has been in existence and observing that the real winners were the ones that were delivering exceptional results. They weren't the ones who necessarily were the best at sales. Sometimes we see a lot of what have the best at sales, but the ones who are really good at sales oftentimes will have a lot of operational challenges to fix. And if they want to fix those, that's great. We can fix them. But if they don't want to fix them, then it's just like, get away from us. <laughs> we don't want nothing to do with you, right? Because it's just, all it is, is just screwing people over. If I'm, if I'm being bold and saying that, you can get so much further by actually just being honest and actually focusing on your energy on doing good work. You know, one of the things that we have, I don't think it's something we decided upon. It's just something that happened is that we are both educators at heart. We love sharing knowledge, which makes inbound so natural for us because sharing equals caring. We try to give our customers, our clients, we try to educate them, that they understand what we do. And what we find by doing that, the more we educate them, the more intelligent their questions. And that, again, help us to perform better. So it's sort of this iterative process where we improve them, they improve us. You notice, too, that educated buyers have something in common. They're willing to pay a lot more. So much of the market is looking for that easy sale that foot in the door. They're trying to make it as, as simple as possible that they have a no need and they're going to sell them something. There's a place for that. But they're missing out on the huge opportunity because when you can actually educate an ideal client, an ideal customer, 
it allows you to be able to expand a much bigger vision. Because some of the challenges that you, I imagine you probably run into with some of your clients is that they don't know what's possible. They don't actually know what's possible. And you have this big vision of what you know can be possible. And that's what's so incredible about content is you can actually use that to help them see a bigger possibility than they can see on their own. That's very true. It's interesting when you start a conversation with somebody and frequently you will get that people will say, no, online marketing don't work for me. You know, people just don't search what I do. They don't search for that online. And then we do a keyword analysis and you show them all the keywords, all the search terms related to their business. And when they see that and they see how many thousands of searches there are per month related to what they do, it's sort of like a, oh my goodness, had no idea. Yeah, that's kind of our part of our sales process is really to expose the opportunity. And we tend to do it in a very consultative sort of way, not a sales sort of way. I don't know. I've said this several times to Yako. I got it. I don't really see us as anything other than consultants, marketing consultants who just happen to be using SEO and inbound marketing to win. I get more excited about someone else growing, another company growing than I do about my own sales. I think I care more about <laughs> how our customers are doing than I care about our own growth sometimes. It gets me really pumped up when I get that call and someone says, yeah, we had X number of calls last month from Google or, oh my gosh, I got this, the biggest job I ever got from call from the website. For me, that's why I like getting up in the morning. That's what gets me pumped up. That's very well said. Now, because we use HubSpot and we make a point of in the forms that people complete online, a customer gets informed. You know, They get an email saying there's a new lead. But we also add our names to that so that we also get notified. And when you work with a local company and you see every day there's one or two or three leads coming through for them, it's a great feeling. It's sort of like motivation, motivation, motivation. I love that. There's so much to that too. You guys are doing such exceptional results and now you're getting paid the level that you really should be for the level of quality that, and the level of outcome that you're providing. A very common thing that we see is that service providers will be, some clients, they'll generate a lower level result, some really high, somewhere in the middle, and some they have no idea because they don't have the data from their customers to even know what result they're getting. I'm looking at that and saying, that's insanity. How do you even know if you don't have a feedback loop to know if it's working or not? How do you know? Like, how can you continue doing this service? It just, it sounds like pure insanity to me, but the reality is, is a lot of the very best agencies, consulting companies, service providers, they are not charging aligned with the true value that they can do because it's too all over the place. So how has that changed for you? And Yako, you're laughing for some reason. Now I'm wondering if I've got, I've got something hanging out of my... I'm going to say, John, you go first this time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure how to answer that. Your comment about it's all over the board. I think yeah. to a certain extent, that's still we. Yeah. Yeah. You've opened our eyes. Let's be honest about that. I think you've opened our eyes and we are systematically moving up the ladder. And our biggest, for me, my biggest drawback is my own internal mindset, especially when you start it as a small business then that mindset is so difficult to break through. I think for any business owner, the, the biggest hurdle in their life is their own internal mindset that they struggle with. There are things that gives you breakthroughs. When somebody talks to you and they say, wow, look at the value that you add. Then you're like, oh, I can ask a fair price for the value that I add. The other one for me that was a significant breakthrough was when I understood the concept of a lifetime value versus just a single value. Many times you look at a client and you say, oh, but your client, their average client value is say, say $50,000, but they work with that people for 10 years. So you're not bringing in $50,000 in value, you're bringing in $500,000 in value. And that's a significant difference. And I don't know for you, John, but that helped me a little bit to realize that we have to be better in our pricing. Yeah, well said. I think humans tend to do this anyways. We take for granted what's special. 
about us. And I think companies can tend to do that too. They don't realize that they're bringing some sort of value that other people recognize, but you don't because you're so used to it. And I think that's something that has been highlighted for me as well within the last year is the communication of what we actually truly bring. And I think we've talked about a little bit, and it's probably the biggest thing for me is the transparency thing. You know, I'm finding myself saying that more to prospects, emphasizing that, hey, we're going to show you if something goes wrong too. You know, it kind of what it does, it makes them feel like, and appropriately so, that we're on their side. We're not, again, across the table and someone there just paying to do some commoditized service. This is very specialized and we are the expert and we're going to help you guide you through this and help you get to what goals you have. And I think I was kind of taking that for granted up until maybe the last 12 months. It just all of a sudden, it was like an aha. I was like, oh, I've got to play that up because it's something I take for granted that I just I just tend to do. And so does Yako. And we weren't communicating it and letting people right. understand that that's what's special. Yeah. Nobody likes to be in a win-lose situation. And I think when you underquote, you are in a lose situation, it just leaves a bad taste always in your mouth. We have one client that we think we're in a win-win situation, for instance. And it's amazing how the communication with those clients are just totally different. For instance, one of our clients will recently bought a new piece of property. So he's phoning us and he's driving around the property with his camera and he's showing us his property. I mean, we're not talking business. He's just so proud of his property. And for him feeling that he can share that with us, that's the relationship we appreciate to have with our clients. Right. And here's the other thing too, is, is that it's not apparent. It's not apparent to you. It's most definitely not apparent to your client. And the only way that they will see the true value that you're bringing is if you communicate it. And if you can communicate it earlier on before the engagement even starts, that is where we see the biggest profitability gained or lost right at that beginning. And that's why I do feel that true sales is actually very important and being able to communicate that offer and being able to do it in a way where you're actually earning what you deserve, not based on your skills or even specialty or expertise, because really at the end of the day, there are plenty of companies out there that have great expertise, but they're not consistently delivering results for their clients. What you're actually delivering is you're, you're utilizing all of your expertise channeled into actually delivering results. And that's what really makes you stand out. Having the conversations with you, it's easy to see that. But the great part about this too is as you guys continue to grow, you'll be able to scale that with the sales team because you'll you'll be able to communicate that at scale. And one of the things that we frequently say to our clients is that Rome wasn't built in one day. It almost burned down in two, but it was not built in one day. This is a journey that we are going on. And I think that to a certain extent defines our clients as well. We're not the type of people, if you want to make a quick buck, that we're just not your agency. We are there for the long haul. We want to see that you are successful. And, and that's a road. That's a journey that we go on. Yeah, I love that. So I'm going to transition a little bit more into the operations. Man, I know we've talked a lot about offers. We've <laughs> talked about how you guys have grown a lot. And I know there's a lot more than that you haven't actually shared because there's things that sharing out live on a podcast is not necessarily appropriate. But I know that you guys have had a lot of growth. But I know that one of the other things is that what was stopping growth was you guys both being very involved in the day-to-day. And I know now you have an operations manager in place. Why don't you share a little bit more about that journey? Because I know you had somebody who who didn't end up working out and then you're kind of back to square one, back pulled into the weeds of account management, project management, operations management. So how has that transitioned now since then? Gosh, we've learned so much about hiring. It's probably one of the biggest things I've learned about myself in the last year was that I thought I was great at hiring people. I pretty much tried to build relationship with the candidate and get a sense of who they are. And yeah, of course that has value, especially for culture and things like that. I don't know where we heard it, but it was basically that salespeople and entrepreneurs tend to be terrible hiring managers because they end up trying to sell the company to the candidate. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, that's me. Even though I've hit some home runs over the years, I look back and I go, like, yeah, I've had a lot more losses than wins. And so what that did was it made me personally change how I approach it. 
And I think it also impacted how our team approaches it. So what we do now is I start off with the first interview and I'm looking for just a couple of basic things. I can still be that person where I'm talking big about how great Broad Vision is, but I'm looking for cultural fit. I'm looking for the basic fundamental skill set. That's it. And I literally had some interviews within the last few months that lasted two or three minutes where I could tell immediately this is not a good fit. So I moved on. I just ended it, moved on to the next candidate. Now with the operations manager, I think that was heavily highlighted. I think I actually was the root cause of some of those struggles we had at the beginning because I would find this person, be the first person to talk to him. And then I would turn around in Slack or email or whatever to Yako and the other team. And I would start selling this candidate to them. And I think that was at the heart of the problem. And that's changed. I don't do that anymore. And I think it's made a dramatic change in who is coming into our organization. And now having gone through and going through your program and our you know own self-reflection, I think we are so much on a better path than we were before in terms of recruiting and getting the right butts in seats basically on our team. How has that change allowed you guys to step back and focus more on growth? Well, you got the right people in there. You're not worried about decisions they're making. We now have a operations person who, even though she's been here a relatively short amount of time, she has garnered a considerable considerable amount of trust. There's been things that have come up that would not be, for the average person, would have been difficult to handle. And our operations person, Kay, has done a tremendous job of pulling us in at the right moment, communicating the issue in a very adult and sensible way so that we could deal with things. And what we're finding is there's not as many issues as we thought they were. I think perhaps because that's not Yako or my specialty, which is managing the team directly, is that we probably made bigger deals out of smaller issues. And I think that's getting smoothed over now. And what I'm finding is I'm not getting pulled into issues very much anymore. And that has been just glorious, I have to say. That's the first time in my career where that's happened. But you know, Manny, to a certain extent, one of your comments during Hands Off CEO program saved us. Because I, we were building, I think we were getting this complex of inferiority in our recruitment. You made the statement and said that, and just be aware, it may be your third or fourth candidate before you're successful. Because that was your experience. And we were sort of, oh, okay, because we were on our third candidate at that stage. And it was like, oh, my goodness, how bad can I be at recruiting? And so that for me was like, oh, okay, you know, there are going to be different people, as I say, different horses, different courses, different people at different stages. And I think that helped a lot. Just in terms of what John said now, I find myself with this mindset that I have to keep myself out. It's almost like I've lost my purpose. You know, I've lost my value because people would come and ask me stuff and now they're not asking me what. And when I could work through that and realize, but wow, where are we going? What is our 10-year goal and how are we going to get there? It's a total different mindset. It's a total different way of thinking. And the things that place in on a 10-year plan are so much different from your day-to-day just operational actions. I love that because you guys both answered this in a little bit different way. John, you were sharing how it's just been being pulled out of all of the day-to-day stresses has just been glorious. I think that was the word you used. Yako, I'm, I love how you shared what the emotional experience has been because when you do let go, you're like, what am I here for? Does anyone need me anymore? <laughs> right? And you, find, and you find out that no, they don't really need you. And a lot of times like that need for ways to add value can keep us stuck in the business longer than is necessary. Just how you've actually shifted to, well, now my time is really focused on the 10-year thinking and looking at ways we can continue to improve the business. It's a completely different way of thinking. How does it feel running a business 
where you're, or you're thinking at that top level, strategic level versus being stuck in the weeds. How is that experience different? You sort of have this energy that you just want to pour into it and you got to stop yourself from wanting to implement immediately because we have other priorities that we have to focus on. John is really good at saying, hey, guys, we've got to watch out. We've got to do this. We've got to finish this before we do this. And that was right now that happened when I've got this plan and I'm like, John, we've got to go on this plan. And he's like, no, hold on. We've got this major project that we've got to do first. But it it helped for me to take a step back then and think about it. And it's interesting how when you think of a 10-year plan, and it depends on your starting point, how that boils over to another area that influence where you started. And then when you've covered this area, it boils over to another area. And so your plan sort of naturally grow because as you do this, you realize, but oh, this is being influenced by this. And then when you solve this, then you realize, oh, but this is being influenced by this. And your plan just start growing and growing and growing until you realize, okay, now I have the components that will make these, this plan successful. I've now at least got them all involved. They may not be perfect in the execution on how to do it, but at least I have the major components that make up a successful plan. I've got them now all integrated. And that is thinking on a different level. It's thinking on a different scale. And it's a different type of energy. Now you are so future focused. And this kind of highlights hands-off CEO. I think both Yako and I would be considered to be well above average networkers. In any networking groups we've been in, we're usually one of the thought leaders and leaders of the group and very involved and active and well-known, respected. And that's great. That, I think, brought some confidence into decisions that we make. But one of the things that I found very helpful with your program is the fact that I'm now interacting with other people in my industry or very similar industries. And there's a a trust level there in terms of the conversations that we have. Yako had a call with another person in the group a couple of weeks ago and was just like, came back and was like, oh my God, I just had the greatest conversation with so-and-so about this. And he had, he came with all these ideas. And to me... That's invaluable, having peers to bounce things off of. Now, we get it in networking, but we're getting it from business owners in different professions. And so you end up have to take things with a grain of salt because they don't understand your industry. But right now, we're interacting with people that get it. They know some of the the pains that are are involved in our industry. I think it's helped us make really smart decisions. And I think it's going to help us strategically as we position ourselves for growth going into the future. I love that. I've just been seeing such a difference where some months back, you guys were like really in the weeds with managing accounts. And I'm just like, what are you guys doing? And it didn't even occur to you like, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm exaggerating a little bit. You guys are. (laughs) But now it's almost like you've forgotten because you guys are so much at ease that no, you for, you haven't forgotten yet, John. Forget. John, no, no, John hasn't forgotten. <laughs> well, I want to ask you too, is like how is this impact? I clearly your time is spent on different parts of the business. You're able to focus more on growth, which is showing it in the numbers. But how has that changed with the number of hours overall that you've worked? Or has it? Quite frankly, I've been more hands-off CEO than than Yako has. And I just think it's quite simply because of circumstance. You know, the role that I had was easier to step back from and let other people take control because I'm, we're doing different aspects of the business. We both do sales. So we're continuing to do that. But the operations in the business, it was easier for me to let go of the things. Whereas with Yako, because he's really the, the strategy brain on our team, I think it was harder for him to let go of that and not get involved in the decision-making at the account level. I hope he agrees, but I think what's happening right now is he's trusting the account managers to make good decisions. He's not micromanaging them. He's not giving them a better idea than the one they have. He's letting them do their thing. Now, it's not like we're not watching, but I think that's kind of where we're at right now. I think that's very true. When we had our first operations manager, John and I decided a few years ago that we want to rotate out. 
I'm going to replace myself, he's going to replace himself, and we're going to focus more on the sales. Typically what you, the hands-off CEO program is about. So I've already replaced myself, but my first replacement didn't work out. And, you know, I had to jump back and take control of strategy, of the account managers, giving them. So when the second person came in, that tells you how far we are down. And that didn't work out. It was like, and that's when you made your remark and you said, hey, you will go through a few people. And that sort of like saved me. And so our third recruit is Kay. And she is doing a wonderful process where I can let go. And I pass the stage when I'm fearing oh, she's not going to make it. I've got to jump back in. Because you let go, you jump back in. Let go, you jump back in. Was not a great process, both in terms of our account managers and in terms of our clients. That really hurt us. So now I have more trust where it's easier to let go. And because I'm so focused on where are we going to be in 10 years from now, it is, I feel... I'm not sure if I'm working less hours to a certain extent. I think so, because I am find myself more sitting and thinking. To give you an example, I was thinking, uh, I was reading Traction, the EOS process. I was sitting outside with a cigar and a whiskey. I know I shouldn't say that, but that's what I was. <laughs> and I was reading the book. And that's where the, in their audit, the fourth question was, where are you in 10 years from now? And Matt, it just hit me like a hammer against the head. And I just started scribbling in the back of the book. And later that evening, I mean, this is on a Friday, 8, 9 o'clock, I'm in front of my computer drafting the spreadsheet to see what it will look like. So the hours that I'm spending is much different in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, or, or the work that I do is much different in terms of the hours that I spend. Yeah, very exciting. And, you know, and something else I wanted to point out to what you mentioned a couple of times about cycling through. I want to clarify what I mean by that for our listeners too. So as the company grows, you're going to have different different level of person for the different stage of the company. They might stay for a year, they might stay for three, and sometimes even less than that, you'll find out that they aren't a good fit and you just, you want to cut and move, move on. But they help you get to the next place in your company where you actually have a clarity on what you need next. And here's the thing is, is that I have experienced certain times where there was what looked like a mistake with someone who was on for about three months. And what I had learned from that experience helped prepare me for the top level person that I needed next in the company. If I wouldn't have gone through those experiences, that this person would not have, have, have looked at our company and said, this is a place I want to work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think the same thing happened with us. Because if I look at our operations manager that we recruited, not only in terms of her maturity as a person, but also in terms of her skill level. She is very complementary to our current skill level. But And with complementary, I mean, not only does she have what we currently do, but she's got more. She's bringing new skills to the table, which helps us to have a more rounded package that we can put in front of clients to right. make them successful. Well, and one last question. I'm sorry, we're going a little longer, but I'm just really curious now. So how has the Operations Academy helped Kay really step into that role of being able to run the day-to-day? -day? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I think it's been uh, extremely helpful because I think she's gotten a, a deeper understanding of what operations truly are. It's been tremendous. It's given her a lot of things that I don't think she would have ever thought about on her own, and we certainly wouldn't have because... Yako and I, we've learned one thing, neither of us are operations people. <laughs> and so that's been just fantastic. It's been a great program for her. When I think of the different modules, there is the difference between the person facilitating it and the content itself. I think the first thing is that because she was a little bit late to the program, we communicated with MJ and say, hey, MJ, can you just make sure that you give her some assistance. And MJ just did a great job. If there's one thing that Kay will mention to you is the personal assistance that MJ has given her, the, the hand-holding and taking her through it. But if I think of specific modules, just, you know, the one that always comes to mind for me is the, the process map, you know, or the flow map. That was such an eye-opener for her in terms of, oh, this is what I do. This is how I map out the whole process. And it's visible and I can see it. And it makes it just so much better to internalize. 
So from that content perspective, it was not just only growth. It was an experience as well, because part of the package was, yes, it's content that's theoretical, but it was also the tools in it that made it practical immediately. Yeah, that was our vision with bringing this to life. And like, Zach and I have been putting this together and I've just been like really vigilant. like, no, we've got to, we got to make this implementable. And of course that's his goal as well, but it's to take everything that you would learn in an MBA program and actually implement it step-by-step into a program in a fraction of the time and then have them really be able to step up in a way that they might not always be able to. I mean, even COO level, we have people at the level of COO who comes in that program and they need to understand how this fits for an agency or a consulting company, which is a completely different ball of wax than any other companies that they may have operationalized. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's been such a a pleasure um, seeing your journey, John and Yako, and we'd love to have you back on again to give an update because I know you guys are keep on growing and morphing. I'm sure we'll, we'll hear something completely different four months from now. And just really want to acknowledge you, the two of you, for really how you've been able to mobilize your team to be able to get work done without you. You're getting work done through other people. And that takes something. That takes something as a leader. That takes being able to really move people and to enroll them. And you being very intentional and visioning, who is that perfect client that we want to be tracking? And we talked a lot about that at the beginning of the interview here. All the way through, how are we operationalizing this? How are we leading our team through this? This takes something, right? So you guys have really risen to the challenge and I want to acknowledge you. So if anyone's listening here, they want to uh, be able to reach out and learn more about Broad Vision and what you guys do, what's the best way for them to get in contact? On our website, there is my email address and John's telephone number. (laughs) That is one way. But it's very simple, actually. It's Yaku at Broad Vision Marketing or John at Broad Vision Marketing. All right. Thanks for clarifying that. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on, John and Yaku. And thank you so much for listening in, tuning in to the Hands Off CEO podcast. This is Mandy, John, Yaku, signing off. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you, Mandy.